Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Really glad uh, you're here. Again, hello to our online audience, wherever you might be today. And like Jillian was saying, uh, I want to congratulate all of us as men who made it today without our wives. And uh, for anyone watching or listening online who didn't make it, we want to talk to you next Sunday. If we can do it, you can do it too. I'm just saying. So uh, we're now in week three in our, in our uh, series, the mini-series called or named The Called. And so if you've got a, a scripture this morning, hard copy or soft copy, I'd love you to turn to Philippians 2. And then after that, later, halfway through, we're going to actually go to Luke 3 and 4. And so just to prep you uh, that way. Uh, a while ago... I remember sitting with some leaders and some pastors as a teenager. I had given my life to Christ. I had sworn allegiance to him. I was serious about my faith. It wasn't just inherited faith. It was mine also. And I remember reading the Gospels and being so excited seeing Jesus do such profound things. And I remember going to one of my youth pastors and one of my youth leaders and saying, why don't we see this anymore? I mean... I thought Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet I just don't see this. And they smiled and they said, well, John, I have, I have big news for you. Um, you're not God. Jesus was God and, and you're not, and, and so he did unique things. And I said, okay, I, I mean, I, I get that. I'm good. I'm not God. Thank God that I'm not God. Good, all right. But it says in the book of Acts that other people did stuff. And they said, well, John, you know, the truth is about that. Actually, they were close to Jesus, and that was a unique period, and that, that's all over. I went, okay, I suppose that's the truth, and I walked away. Years later, after a lot of reflection on this, though I love those people, and they're sincere, and they're my brothers and sisters, I think they're completely wrong. When I read through the book of Acts, and I read it carefully, I suddenly realized it wasn't just those who were with Jesus or in his presence that did great things of power in his name. Actually, it was the second generation, the third generation. And, and if you look at Paul's writings and, and the epistles, he's even starting to address a fourth generation, telling them how to do that stuff right and what to avoid. So I went, well, it couldn't be that. But I kept coming back to this idea that, that Jesus was God and he was unique and, and we're not Jesus, so, so what do we do with that? And then I came to the book of John. And John penned these words that mess up so much of our experience and our theology. John 14, 12 reads like this. I tell you the truth. Anyone, not some people, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. They will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So I read those words and I looked at my life. I read those words and I looked at a church. I, I read these words and I said, what's happened? Well, years later I'm here to tell you that I think what has happened is we have misunderstood the role of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to explore today. Because without this understanding, the third part of being a disciple, the issue of freedom and power, will never be worked out. And so, whether you've not met Jesus and this is your first time at church, or you've just become a Christian, or, or you're not a Christian yet and you're questioning, or you've been a Christian for days or weeks or decades, hold on today. Because today is a significant day, in my opinion, as maybe some lenses are going to change and we're going to see some different things among us. Like I said last week, this series is called The Called for a reason. 
It's because who we are, what we already have been called to be, what God is expecting of us. And the goal of this four-week series is to look at the biblical mandate of being a follower of Jesus, discipleship. And then we've been talking about producing this people path. And the goal for all of us as a church is to walk together in one direction, to see where we're doing well in our faith and what's lacking in our faith, to see what we need to do next individually and communally. All of this is being done to shepherd and care for you more, to build up this church, to equip each person so we can all really become fully devoted followers and not just say that on a piece of paper. Now, like I've shared for the last two weeks, there are three areas that are at the heartbeat of following Jesus. And here they are. The first one is relationship. The second one is understanding. And the third one, which we're going to talk about today, is freedom. Another way you could put it is allegiance, truth, and power. As a friend of mine wrote, and I preached this last week too, each of these encounters leads to a very specific and important dimension of the Christian experience. Allegiance leads to right relationship. Truth leads to understanding. And spiritual power leads to spiritual freedom. If you're missing any of these, you become not a fully devoted follower, but a lopsided follower of Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, we spent a lot of time talking about allegiance. We focused on meeting Jesus in a personal way. We talked about baptism. We talked about a strong commitment to the local church through membership. Last week, we focused on truth and understanding, the knowledge dimension, Who is God? What is he like? What is he up to? What do the scriptures teach us? What are we called to know, to understand? It was a call for us in a culture that is starting not to think, to think deeply. This, of course, becomes the foundation of how we live and who we see and who we give away and how we even deal with the world. But today, but today we need to address the issue of power. We are called, it says in scripture, to be like Jesus And corporately, not individually, corporately do what Jesus did. Now just stop and hear that. We are corporately expected to do what Jesus did. So then we need to, as a community, have a very clear understanding of spiritual power. See, the heartbeat of this is is here. Without God's power coursing through our community, we will never do what he's commissioned us to do. At the heart of this whole conversation, one wrote it this way. You can't fight wrong primary allegiance with knowledge or power. You can only fight one allegiance and replace it with another. Likewise, you cannot fight error or ignorance with allegiance or power. These need to be fought with one thing, knowledge or truth. So it is the same thing with power. You cannot fight wrong spiritual power with knowledge or truth only. You have to do it with spiritual power. You replace wrong allegiance with right allegiance, wrong understanding with right understanding, and you overcome wrong power with right power. And so to understand spiritual power today, we need to understand Jesus and his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just warning everyone up front today, get ready, because this is going to be a thinking session, okay? We need to understand the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And to do this, we all need to turn to Philippians 2. This is one of the most exalted, most beloved, and misunderstood ancient hymns of the Christian church, which was incorporated into Scripture. Paul is addressing a church in Philippi, and he's telling them that their lives need to reflect the same attitude that Jesus had. It's a call for community. 
But he defines and defends this ethical call with an amazing description of Jesus. Now, everyone just watch this, because when you begin to understand this passage, everything that Jesus did for 33 years while he was on earth suddenly becomes very clear. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not, accept, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Being in the very nature God. These five little words are groundbreaking. Paul here starts, interestingly, with Jesus before the manger. Jesus before he came to earth. Christ in his preexistence. He was, Paul says, the form of God. He had the very nature of God himself. Ready, everyone? This means Jesus was God. You cannot have the nature of God and not be God. There is only one being in all of existence that has the DNA or nature or the personhood of God. That is God himself. This is not saying, well, Jesus was sort of like God, but not really God. This is saying that Jesus of Nazareth, who was born 2,000 years ago, who walked around for 33 years, was the God creator in flesh. But then Paul writes these words. And if we're honest, they seem confusing. But Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, this is really key for us to understand Jesus and the idea of power. This is saying that Jesus, though he was fully God, chose not to grasp, to be selfish, to hold on to the privilege of who he was. He rejected the common idea of kingly power. I come, I rule, you shut up, let's move on. He said, no. I'm here to pour myself out. I'm here to be humble or submissive. Now, he never stopped being God. He didn't become something else like a semi-God or some other invention. No, no. He chose not to seize or take advantage of what he always was. Another said Jesus did not empty himself of anything, but simply just emptied himself. He poured himself out. I think Eugene Peterson got it right when he translated it this way in the message. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Well, the next question we all ask is, well, how in the world does God who's chosen to walk into our existence and take on flesh do this thing? Well, the next stanza in that great old hymn that's recorded here answers us. But made himself, verse 7, nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, God took on flesh, the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. Then he lives a perfect life, died a death we all deserve, and then physically overcomes the grave. The point of Paul here is that Jesus' life is one of humility, and we need to look like that too. But as one wrote, the real humiliation of the incarnation and the cross is that the one who himself is God and never during the whole process stopped being God would ever in the first place embrace such a vocation called servanthood. But the result of Jesus doing this has actually given the world and any of us who are Christians sitting here or watching or listening the hope that we have. He says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we all say, Oh, please. We say, 
Yeah, unbelievable. This is who we worship. Now, notice what Paul did here. You have a full picture of who Jesus is in a few verses. You have his pre-existence, his incarnation, his death on a cross, his ascension to heaven, and his forever exaltation. Now, only when you see Jesus from above, then does the below make sense. Only when you see who Jesus is from heaven's view, does the 33 years on earth make sense, and then we get to how we're supposed to be like him. Now, at the heart, of Jesus' public ministry is something that most of us are very familiar with here. It's his baptism. So quick, go over to Luke chapter 3. Luke 3.21. Because only, everyone got this? This is important. Only when you pair Philippians 2 with the baptism accounts in, in, in the Gospels does the issue of power that we're exploring today become clear. So everyone hold on, we're, we're not there yet. Luke 3.21. When all the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, it says heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you're my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now it first of all says that heaven was opened. It was immediate. I think in Mark it says like the heavens were ripped open. It was straight away. This coming out from the water has answered from a coming down from heaven. It is heaven now saying that heaven's will on earth is going to be done. It's the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah 740 years earlier. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and God, you would come down. Now never miss that in almost every image... And every actual historical occurrence, these words and signs all point to the full life and death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died, if you've read the story, when Jesus died, something happened in the temple. In the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a huge thick veil or rug, probably this thick, that went right up to the top and it prevented you from going into God's presence. It says in the Gospels, when Jesus was murdered and died, it says that that veil was ripped from top to bottom. You see, even at Jesus' baptism, it's already bookending the story. Heaven was ripped open, and when Jesus died, the temple was ripped open. Why? Because God has come to earth to do a new thing for humanity. Now, as heaven rips open something else happens. It says that the Holy Spirit of God comes on him like a dove. Now, this is huge when you learn your Old Testament. The very first reference to the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the second verse in the Bible. It says, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Later, the image of a dove is used in the days of Noah, where Noah sent out a dove and hovered over what? The judgment of wa the water of judgment. The Spirit of God, one wrote, is seen in two lights. He's the gentle dove hovering over the waters of baptism and, and, and as Noah's did and it, with the ark and the water of judgment. But he's also the Spirit of creation hovering over the baptismal waters out of which God is about to call a new creation. The community called the church. And so there's so much holy history to this, but we're getting here. Beyond the connection to holy history, the ever-unfolding story of God, Jesus has the Spirit of God come on him for two reasons. Everyone ready? The first one is seen in what heaven says. This is my Son, whom I love, I am well pleased. The Spirit of God 
is given to Jesus to affirm Jesus' identity so his ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension are valid. Here we see God in his fullness, the mystery of the Trinity. Though we worship one God, not three, he's found in three persons sharing one essence. God the Father, the voice in heaven. God the Son incarnate in the water. God the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove. This is the God we know and worship. But the second reason why the Spirit came on Jesus is why we're gathered here today. The Spirit of God, ready everyone, came on Jesus to empower him. Now think about it. In all of Jesus' life up to this point, 30 years, he never healed, he never cast out demons, and he did not teach in public. Only once at 12 did he speak in the temple. But no one followed after him. They just said, oh my goodness, who are you, young man? And then mom came and said, where have you been? Remember the story? I'm in my father's house. She probably thought it was lip. You know, that's the context. But up to that point, nothing has happened. Yet right after the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, his ministry starts. The third person, here's the oh my goodness moment. The third person of the Trinity empowers Jesus who was sent by the Father. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have been able to bring the good news. You're saying, excuse me? Uh, Elders, elders, attention. What is John saying? Listen to me. Here's the point. He would not have done it because this is how he chose not to grasp at the power or privilege of deity. He said, I've come to do what my Father has wanted, and I'm doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not do ministry out of his deity, but he did it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't heal because he was God. Jesus didn't cast out demons because he was God. He didn't even teach in the authority of just himself. He was empowered by the Spirit. Another wrote it this way. When you read Philippians 2, that Jesus laid aside the use of his divinity, though he still was God, and worked totally as a human being under the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth, then things change. He does nothing to indicate to the world, including the people of his own town, Nazareth, that he, in fact, was God incarnate until his baptism. Then functioning as a human being under the leading of the Father, remember what Jesus says in John, I do nothing except what the Father tells me. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, he then begins to set people free from captivity to an enemy, which evidenced by sickness, lameness, blindness, demonization, and spiritual death. Now, Jesus worked with the authority and power given to him by the Father, and never once did he use his own divinity while he was on earth. Now, Jesus, my friend writes, did this to demonstrate God's love, a relational thing, to teach us what God and the Christian life are all about, a knowledge thing, and here it is, and to set people free from Satan, a power thing. Thus, he shows us that we should be going around our lives as participants in the kingdom of God in the same way he did. He gave us, everyone ready, the same Holy Spirit under whom he worked, saying that whoever has faith in him will do the same things he did, even more. And since today, as in Jesus' day, the enemy is doing power things, Jesus gives us uh, power and authority to carry on freedom-giving activities as kingdom builders. So catch this, everyone. The heavens tear open. The Spirit comes down. John John the Baptist points. The crowd wonders. And then we go, oh, the public ministry is starting. This is so exciting that we're getting the picture. 
And then we think it should just be a party. The very next thing that happens to Jesus is found in Luke 4.1. Jesus, now watch the reference. Jesus now what? Go to the next slide. Full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus now full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, and now is interesting. Do you notice it? Led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days where he's tempted by the devil. 40 days matters. Moses fasted for 40 days and was given the Ten Commandments. Elijah, the great miracle worker, fled for 40 days in the desert, and he heard the voice of God. Israel wandered for 40 years because they didn't obey, and then they got in the promised land. You're saying, well, John, so what? I'm getting lost. Like, what's the point? Luke wants us to know that Jesus is not just now the great lawgiver like Moses or the great miracle worker like Elijah. He's greater than both of them. And unlike Israel who wandered around and disobeyed and failed God, he was sent into the wilderness under the Spirit and would not give in but would live the life and witness that Israel was supposed to give to the world and didn't. Jesus Christ is not only God in flesh, he is the one that will obey the powerful will of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and he will overcome and that's why we have good news. Now, don't miss what I've already alluded to. Right after Jesus' identity is given, right after he's empowered, the first thing that happens is he is led by the Spirit, and he faces down the God of this world, Satan, the one who owns reality in our part. And he faces him down, and he overcomes him. So already you have a clash between two kingdoms, two spirits, and our side wins. Anyone? Yeah, okay. Now, after Jesus is empowered, after he overcomes Lucifer in the temptation, then he goes and starts his public ministry. And here's where we're going to end. He starts his public ministry and declares that under the power of the Holy Spirit, he's about to set a lot of people free through God's power. And this is what he says in Luke 4.14. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee, interesting, notice, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unfolding it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit, notice this, the Spirit of the Lord is what? On me. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recover sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now there's a ton of things to unpack here. In this most powerful summary of why God in flesh entered our world to win us back. Never forget the poor are made up of those in bondage. Education, gender, family heritage, religious purity, vocation, economic. But at the heart of every human being is the poverty of sin, the poverty of death, the poverty of being under the dominion of Satan. Yes, as Christians, we are called to love, help, advocate for widows and orphans in practical ways. But the fundamental issue is the poverty of spirit that can only be dealt with by the person of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. So Jesus gets up and says, just so you all know, friends, I now have the Spirit of God upon me, and I'm about to do some serious work for my Father. And interestingly, one wrote, Jesus says he's come to set captives free. 
In making such a statement, he implies that both there is one who has captured many people and that people really need freedom that God offers. Freedom that was so badly needed that Jesus actually came to earth to offer this freedom. Then he demonstrates it through his ministry. Now, when Jesus left, he gave us the power of his name. Not like magic, but authority given. And we are called to operate in his authority to bring out the same ends that he brought. We are called to focus on bringing people into relationship with God, but we are also called to recognize that people are in captivity and therefore they need freedom from an enemy. Here's the problem. Almost all of us in this church who love Jesus really believe the Bible in our heads, but many of us don't believe it in our everyday life. Jesus understood something that many of us cringe at or run from or cover from. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world, or the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot see Jesus. They cannot understand when you tell them the gospel because of a power thing, not an understanding thing. If it was an understanding thing, don't you think that lots of people in an educated society would flock around Jesus? If it was a relationship, is our culture not desperate for relationships? Anyone? So it's obviously not those things. It's a power thing. Only, my friend writes, when they are freed will they be able to understand the gospel and building on that understanding, commit themselves to Jesus. This is the dimension that the church in the West has run from because we're scared. So if we are called to imitate Jesus, our ministries, including here at Crothers Creek, should be filled with healings and deliverances as well as mercy and administration and exhortation, all of it, not some of it, all of it. So now we come back to what I started with in John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He or she will do greater things than these because I'm going away to the Father. And if you notice, Jesus says later in the Gospels, I'm going away to the Father, but don't worry. I'm going to send someone else. Who is he called? The Comforter. So the pattern of Jesus is the pattern for us corporately and personally. Remember, The Bible actually says that the local church, even though we're totally messed up as people, right? Yeah, all the non-Christians are like, yes. Yeah. That's what they say outside. Though we're messed up, the body of Christ is called, the church is called the body of Christ. Everything he did, other than being God in flesh and speaking scriptures into existence, we are called to do also as his representatives on earth. So what Jesus went through, we all go through. Now you're going, hold on, John. I'm not seeing the pattern. Well, let me show you. Everyone still with me a little bit? You may need to listen to the podcast again. It's okay. When you became a Christian, if you are one, Paul says something very interesting about you. Now tie it back to Philippians 2 and Jesus' baptism. In 1 Corinthians 12.12, this is what he says. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though the parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Jesus. For we have all been, say it loud, what? Baptized by one spirit 
into one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave, or free, we're all given one spirit to drink. We are all baptized with the same spirit that Jesus was baptized with when we became Christians. And notice, not only do we share the same spirit Jesus had on him, but we actually get the same relationship Jesus had with the spirit and the Father. The difference is we are only one part, not the whole deal. We are given the Holy Spirit, ready, as a one-time experience. There are many encounters. This isn't a part two. This is conversion. Right when you became a Christian at 3 or 12 or 12, uh, 15, 20, 40, 80, I don't know, you were given and baptized in the Spirit. Then Paul says later, not only are we all baptized with the same Spirit Jesus had, we are also all called to be filled over time with that Spirit again and again. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk, everyone, he says. It leads to bad things, debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So we're all baptized in the Spirit. We're called to be filled like the Spirit, with the Spirit. Anyone seeing the correlation yet? Jesus was baptized. Jesus was filled. And then the next thing, interestingly, is this. We are called to ask God to produce the same character Jesus had in our messed up lives, which are interestingly called the fruit of what? The Spirit. And you can't produce it. It takes a God thing. He says the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How easy are those things to produce? Anybody? Oh, easy. No problem. So, baptized in the Spirit, the call to be filled by the Spirit every single day, and the fruit of the Spirit. I have a little ritual I do every morning. Let me share it with you. I get in the shower. That's not the ritual, but that's a good one. I get in the shower, and in the morning, I rededicate myself to Jesus every morning. I accept him as Savior. I'm not reconverting. I'm just, I accept you as Savior, and I call for his lordship. Next thing I do is I rededicate my wedding vows in the shower every single morning. Not, an ex- not the whole thing, not the whole, you know. I just rededicate my, my vows. The next thing I do is I, redic- I rededicate my pastoral vows. And then I say, Holy Spirit, I need you today because I'm a messed up person. And I pray these words. I pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit and ask him even which ones I may need. And then I put on the armor of God. I'm not telling you that in an ego thing. I just want you to to show you something. Baptized in the Spirit, being called to be filled by the Spirit, asking for the fruit of the Spirit, and here's where it all now comes to an end. And fourthly, we are all called to walk in the same power of the Holy Spirit by using, here's the pin dropping, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is how the power of God is released into a dark world. We together, as Crothers Creek Community Church, have all the gifts that God wants for our church. Personally, we may only have one or many, but we corporately, who make up Jesus on earth, his body, have all the gifts like he had. We will never be able to say again, well, we will never ever see that because Jesus did that because he's like God and we're not. No. Jesus showed us that he did not grasp the privilege of deity. He was filled and baptized in the Spirit, which was given to affirm him as a child of God, the Son of God, and empower him. And we are actually affirmed as children of God, and we are empowered too. Am I saying we are Jesus? Of course he's God and we're not. But follow the pattern. Jesus laying aside the privilege of deity was filled with the Spirit to do the Father's will. So when we are baptized in the Spirit at conversion, filled again and again, and here's the big end, and we know the spiritual gifts the Spirit sovereignly has given us, then we can do grand things for God. And here's the problem, and here's the list. 
There are at least 21 spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. Here they are. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation and giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, works of power, miracles, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, administration, evangelist, pastor, hospitality, missionary, intercessor, to name a few. Paul wrote again and again about spiritual gifts. Four major passages. Remember we read one in Romans 12? For each of us has one body with one member, with many members, and these members don't all have the same function. So it is with Jesus. They form one body and we all belong to each other. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouragement, then give encouragement. If it's giving, do it generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's the point, everyone. I'm coming to an end. People who are fully devoted followers of Jesus and churches that are fully devoted followers or communities are gift-based gift-based churches and people first, not program-based. Programs in a church are just fine, but the question is, are you even using your spiritual gifts? If you don't know what your gifts are, then you will not be able to serve God in power because that is where he's ordained you to serve in power. Another wrote, simply, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is about being. It's attitudinal. It's a byproduct of our relationship with God. Gifts are about doing. They are supernatural endowments. But the problem is, most of us in this church rarely think about the Holy Spirit, rarely talk to the Holy Spirit, rarely pray to the Holy Spirit, and we forget that He convicts us of sin. He leads us in all truth when we read our Bible. He suffers with us when we suffer. He comes alongside of us. When we can't pray, the Bible teaches, He prays. So not only do we need to understand that we are called to serve, because we all agree with that, But we have to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the character of the Holy Spirit, but we have to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit He's given us. Yet most of us sitting here don't even know what our gifts are. So when we serve in church or with the poor or outside, we're not serving in the place we're supposed to. We're spending so much time doing something that God never sovereignly ordained us to do. Or even more dangerous is this, and this is my experience at Crothers. When I hang out and I ask people what their gifts are, Age, stage, doesn't matter. They end up saying, I don't have a clue. Or, oh, I know what they are, and they list a bunch of things that aren't even spiritual gifts. They're natural abilities, they're they're talents, they're things you love, but they're not spiritual gifts. So here's the point, because I know this is a lot, but here's the point. The call this week for all of us is to understand, A, we actually all have the same spirit Jesus did. We really do. It's not theoretical. It's real. He is on us and in us. We are called and commanded to be filled every day by him. It is a prayer we should all be praying. Holy Spirit, fill me like you filled Jesus today. Third thing, we are called to ask the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us that is unnatural to us. And here's the last thing. We are called to know the gifts of the Holy Spirit so we can actually walk in power. See, if you know your gifts and you know other people's gifts, the whole personality thing gets removed. It just gets removed. I remember five years ago, I was preaching. Uh, I'd just become a senior pastor, and I got up and I said these words, genuinely uh, just preaching. I was excited. I said, you know, last week I was talking to God, and he said this to me. 
I thought you'd all be excited that God was talking to one of the guys leading the church. I got emails. I was wrong. People came and said, who do you think you are? I said, I'm John. What's going on? What did I do? And they said, God doesn't talk to me that way. So what's your, what's your problem with your ego? And I was like, I was just talking to my boss. I'm, I'm confused. And then I got it. They didn't have the lens of spiritual gifts. And if you don't have a lens of spiritual gifts, you'll end up reading into all sorts of situations all the time because you don't understand that gifting is how we function. Personality and all that stuff is secondary. You just didn't know I have a thing called words of knowledge. It doesn't make me a better pastor. It doesn't make me super cool. I'm not closer to Jesus than all of you. It's just the gift I got. Now, you may have mercy or prophecy or evangelism or tongues, and the list goes on and on. The point is, when we understand that there's character grounding and we're submitting ourselves under others, because I did, by the way, talk to others. It's just not me, the John show. And when you start doing that, and you start using your gifts, and you start seeing other Christians through the lens of gifts, a lot of the infighting in church disappears because you end up celebrating what the Spirit of God is doing, not competing you don't start going, well, they obviously think they're better because they do this. No, you go, oh my goodness, that is so unbelievable. When I hang out with people with mercy, I go, you're amazing people. I don't have any. More mercy, God, because I don't have much. Right? Yeah, you're all laughing, but you know it's true. You're like, that's true, John. I know that about you. Yeah, oh, there you're clapping. I have the gift of pro. No, 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 okay. But the point is, you start celebrating because you realize you're not supposed to be my, like me. I'm not supposed to be like you. But when there's character and the power of the Holy Spirit, then things start flying in a church. The call today is this. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you even believe that the Spirit of Christ is on you? Do you have a defeated Christian life? You don't talk to the Spirit then. Do you see no victory? You don't talk to the Spirit then. Do you always wonder why serving is such a burden? Because you're probably not serving in your gift set. This all comes back, and I end here, with our people path. The first three key steps we talked about was meeting Jesus, swearing allegiance to him, getting baptized, committing to the local vision of a local church. Then I called all of you to seriously begin to study how to read Scripture, devotionally and technically. I'm calling this church to begin to engage in theology, to have a strong biblical and historical understanding of our faith. But the next group of steps on the people path we're going to reveal is all about understanding your gifts. And it's not just about taking a class, which, by the way, many of you need to retake. Many of you who have been Christians for 30 years need to take for the first time. But it's deeper than that. We need to start finding out what your gifts are and then pairing you with people that have walked in that gift much longer than you to tell you how it works. Because amazingly in the Bible, it says what the gifts are and gives us very little about functionality. If you want to see maturity in a church, then move away from programs, though important, and come back to your gifts. Last statement. One of our core values in this church is this. We value shared ministry. We believe that every Christ follower is called to impact those around them, interesting, ready, through loving, character, joyful, character, gift-based service. The excuse now ends today. Over the next few months and the next year, we're going to provide multiple opportunities for you to know your gifts, ask what they are, struggle with it, and begin to grow in it. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why. Because that is the pattern Jesus showed us, and then he said we're supposed to do the same. 
Much of the time, the reason why churches fail is because they never get to the point where they say, what is my gift versus what is my program? That's where we're at today. If you have questions, I suppose I'll do coffee afterwards. So let's pray and we'll see what comes of this. Lord, I mean, that's a lot. And there's a lot to think through there, historically, theologically. But as a community, we're, we're going to ask you, Jesus, to really come and, and, and do what you need to do. I pray uh, for all of us that we would actually, you would begin to inform us about our spiritual gifts. I pray, Jesus, you would begin to show us the evidences of, of, of the Holy Spirit in our character, in our gifts, in, in your filling. I, I really pray that many people in our church would actually have new encounters with the Spirit of God over the summer and begin to know that this relationship is real. I pray that anything I said that was not of you would fall to the ground. I pray that all that was from you would be impactful. And I pray, Lord, that this church, all of us as individuals, would be in a place where we start functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the character of the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come as we worship now you as God, but we're asking Holy Spirit to do a new work in our community so we have a real understanding of your power. Because you said, Jesus, we're supposed to do greater things than you. And if we look around, it's not happening yet. So we pray this would happen. And we ask this uh, by the call of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and by the power of God's Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand and let's at least sing back to the God we love. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.